The date is Friday, July 3rd, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. In this episode, we'll be discussing the 2017 action role-playing game Near Automata. We'll follow these mechanized characters on their journey to find meaning, and might even learn something about what it means to be human. Enjoy! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Entertain This! Entertain This! This is week two of us being live at the same place recording the podcast. Wow! Instead of doing a, a Zoom chat. Yeah, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. Look at Nick's... Just just yeah, neutral audience, expression. look at Nick's expression. I'm talking, I'm talking to you, Michael. I'm trying to get your attention here. Nick has timed out. Please shake the mouse to wake me up. Incredible. Um, it isn't my episode to host. It's your episode, Michael. But mm-hmm. I had something that I wanted to, uh, to do at the beginning of the episode that I wanted to do mm-hmm. on the podcast. Um, I have a gift for you, too. What? Yes. Um, let me reach into my bag real quick. Put the mic over there so we can hear your bag. Ooh. Socks. Uh, in a previous episode, we all mentioned our favorite superheroes. And so... <laughs> you gave us That's socks. amazing. I've gotten s- uh, some, some black light socks for, for both of you. Oh, yeah. So for, for Featuring those, your favorite superheroes. Iron Meme. For those that don't remember, my favorite superhero was Thor. Mine uh, was Iron Man. As I just called him, Iron Man. And Meme. strangely enough, uh, Alex showed me right before the podcast... That he is wearing his uh, Spider-Man socks. Yeah, look at that. They came in a three-pack. It felt perfect. Wow. So I bought them, <laughs> and funny. I brought them on the podcast to Amazing. give to you guys. That's nice. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, really absolutely. Appreciate, appreciate um, you. That, that being done, Michael, I'll pass the torch <laughs> to you. So I know that uh, Nick... Previously, had just talked about a video game control. Yeah. Uh, and it kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of kind of these other mind-bending games. Ooh. Um, and there was one in particular that stood out to me in the past that really had a uh, real impact on me. And it's called Near Automata. Um, it's a very... I will warn ev- anyone listening to this. It is a very, very strange game. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably not like, not for everyone out there, but for me, it's for me, it's the culmination or the perfect example uh, of video games as art. Um, there's so much about it that is presented, like the story is presented in such an incredible way that originally seemed so incredibly shallow, um, but actually ends up being about things like. Um, like identity and s- sense of self, um, the human condition, and like just trying to figure out the reason of existence in ways that you really wouldn't expect, given the way that everything is presented. Hmm. Um, what was that word that you? What, it was in the title of the game. Automata. What does that mean? No idea. Oh, okay. Can yeah. I, can I take a guess? Yeah, go for it. About this entire subject matter, is it? Something Do you know anything? Before no, you take a I guess? know nothing about this. Okay, interesting. But if I if I can just wager a guess, go ahead. Um, I think it's about maybe robots because automaton mm-hmm. is another robots word for are in robot. there. Yeah. Okay. Um, is it in any way similar to uh, Deus Ex or Deus Ex? Some themes can be uh, traced to be very similar. What is that? Deus uh, Ex Machina. It's like a Latin. 
Oh, it means like interruption of God or something like that, right? Well, like through machine or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. I th- I thought you were talking about like the video game. That too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're one and the same at this yeah. point. Yeah. So, uh, is it like the name of a place? No, it's so. So near in and of itself was the title of the previous game. Okay. And I think kind of to what Nick was saying, like in it having to do with uh, like automatons, um, machines, machines through mm-hmm. most of it. I think they picked just a name that sounds cool mm-hmm. and so automata um yeah because most people actually like there's like still controversies on like the right way to say it like i even asked like jade my girlfriend like do you what sounds better uh automata or automata automata yeah and that's Kinda what i like said automata i know it's like automatopoeia automata but excellent anyways kind of to go into this like what i'm trying to present to you all is the idea of um that this game that otherwise would normally be seen as like anime weeb trash okay uh, um about like like cute goth made waifus and husbandos mm. which are very weird terms that i'm sure neither of you know but if anybody i know waifu yeah, yeah. you know waifu. okay <laughs> we both do that husbando is basically the male equivalent of that okay um, but it's this like it's this video game that normally you would never expect to reach into these sorts of topics, but does it in such a way that is done just in, like as if it's art. Um, I think I know where you're coming from. Yeah, it's it's a little bit hard to hard to present, but um, let me just kind of dive into it a little bit, though. Heck yeah! Um, so, what is near Automa- automata? Auto- God damn it. Automata. <laughs> Try it again. Automata. Near Automata. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an action role-playing game that is developed by Platinum Games, who they are known for like the Bayonetta series, Metal Gear Rising, and a lot of other like slightly niche, uh, like flashy action hack and slash games. Uh, and it was published by Square Enix. I think we all know who Square Enix is. Sure do. They made Final Fantasy and mm. a lot of other good shit. And Deus Ex. Yep. Um <laughs> And so the other side that people wouldn't know about this game is that it's directed by uh, a man named Yoko Taro, who is in particular known for creating like dark and twisted storylines in games that are meant specifically as foils to the common tropes that we encounter in video games. Uh, and he does it in incredibly weird and strange ways. Um, you might also know him from a previous E3 appearance, where during a Square Enix presentation... Uh, he was the uh, skeleton-headed man uh, who came out with a giant spherical helmet of one of the characters from his game, and that now is his like persona. Ooh. It's very strange. Uh, I encourage anyone to just look up, look him up, uh, Yoko Taro. Like, it's spelled exactly how it sounds, and uh, every image you'll see is of that weird fucking helmet. <laughs> um, so a little bit of background info on him. So he actually uh, got his start as a background designer for one of my favorite games of all time, uh, Time Crisis 2. Do you all remember that? No. So Time Crisis 2 was the the arcade game where you step on the pedal, you have a gun, and it pops your character out, and you have to shoot everyone, and you progress, like, linearly through the stage. Oh, it's an arcade game. Yeah. I do remember that. Yeah. So I liked that game so much that I bought the PlayStation 2 port with the gun attachment and everything. Incredible. Um, yeah. Cool. And uh, eventually he went on to direct his own games with Square Enix, with his first being one called uh, Guard, uh, or otherwise known in Japan as Dragon Dragoon. Uh, 
and that was kind of his entire entry point into both the gaming uh, gaming atmosphere, and also it was this entry point for his universe that he's created for all of his games. Um, so then, in order to get to Nier Automata, Nier Automata, uh, you have to talk a little bit about Drakengard because that's actually where Nier and the Nier series got its start. So let's go back to Drakengard. Mm-hmm. Set in a dark fantasy world where the main feature of the game was essentially a dragon flight simulator uh, with some mix-ins of Dynasty Warriors uh, gameplay. Do you guys know Dynasty Warriors at all? Nope. So the whole idea is that you're playing one person, like one hero from history. Uh, Normally it was like Asian history. And it's you going in and turning the tides of entire battles and wars by essentially claiming and killing uh, thousands and thousands of troops on the other side. Wow. Yeah, um, and it's, it's essentially meant to be like power fantasy games. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the key features of Yoko Taro games is that uh, he, has, he do, has a really good habit of tying the game and the game mechanics directly to the story. And what I mean by that is he took, originally, originally uh, Guard wasn't supposed to have these Dynasty uh, Warriors uh, gameplay, uh, Square Enix ended up pushing him in that direction as a way of tr- of them like trying to help him. It was it, Dynasty Warriors One had just come out at the time, I think, uh, and that sort of gameplay was extremely popular. And so they're like, okay, here's a little safety net that you can throw into your game, uh, so that way you have something to kind of fall back on since this is your first time doing this. Yoko Taro saw that power fantasy element and was like, okay, well, if my characters are going to have to be like doing like killing thousands of people. They're not going to be good people. Nope. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're going to be absolutely trash people. And so he made his characters to reflect that. Uh, the first one being the main character, Kaim. Uh, he is kind of like an edgy soldier boy who's kind of like a dark reflection of, like, Cloud Strife from Final Fantasy VII, um, whose sister is, like, a lot of this is going to sound very weird, and I just want to warn everyone right now. Uh, his sister is the goddess who has who protects the seal of the world from uh, the leaders of the emperor... The Empire, they're defending the faction they're defending against. And this is where it gets really weird. This sounds like a giant D&D game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> except you don't want these next few characters sitting at your table, I can tell you that. Um, the next one, his name is Leonard. Uh, he is a pedophile whose uh, family died in the war by the Empire. Uh, originally, he was supposed to be home protecting them, but he wasn't because he was uh, too busy being out in the forest doing the diddly-do. Um, what is the diddly do? Because my brain is probably thinking it's up. He's masturbating. Oh my, is he really? Yeah, like this is official explanation. Okay. Um, <laughs> Japanese are weird. Yeah, man. the next character is Ariosh, a cannibalistic elf who eats children due to the fact that she lost her children. And this to her is her mental way of coping with that by thinking that she is protecting those children that she eats in her womb. Again, incredibly strange. Uh, this is somebody's D&D party. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're very messed up, but it's somebody's D&D yeah. party. Yeah, <laughs> and then the last one, Sarah, a naive little boy who lost his mother and sister and whose only family now is this group of people. It's a great, great fit. <laughs> That'd be my character. Yeah. Just the <laughs> naive little on. boy. I'm just like, they're cool. Yeah. 
<laughs> they seem like nice guys. So this is all part of the dragon. Yeah, yeah, dragon guard. Dragon yeah, yeah. Guard. So, so he, they kill thousands of people in this game yeah. using the dragon. Not strictly using the dragon, okay. but that is part of it. Because yes. I looked it up, and they're like images of like dragons just breathing fire on giant yeah, groups yeah, yeah. of people, mm-hmm. and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it's still historically accurate. Like their historical battles, like that happened. It's based in Western fantasy. Okay. Yeah. So, so fantasy battles. Yes. That are like lore of. Yeah, Western culture. So I think you're thinking of Dynasty Warriors. Dynasty Warriors is more so historically accurate. Uh, like okay. it's like they take the idea of like, if you know anything about like Chinese history, like Lu Bu is a famous historical military figure. Mm-hmm. Figure in that game, you actually play as Lu Bu on the battlefield, who is turning the tide of the battle by killing these thousands of people. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I know nothing about what we're talking about, so mm-hmm. everything's blending together, but that is a good wall to separate it. Yep. So it's instead really of annoying. taking like historical context, throw it into a fantasy world and turn your characters into absolute shitholes. I love it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then along with that, another key feature of Yoko Taro games is having multiple endings. Multiple endings isn't necessarily something that is specific to like Yoko Taro, but it's how he executes on them. Yoko Taro games are known for having incredibly bleak uh, endings that no matter what you do, it's going to be a bad ending. Um, and so it kind of spits in the face of what people normally think of when they think of traditional multiple endings. No, like they think oh, there's got to be one out there where something good happens. Yeah. I got to find the good ending. Right. Yeah, it's a good ending and bad ending. And right. Like a um, between type of thing. In Dragon Guard, it's strictly gated by your completion percentage of the game. Uh, so, like the full ending of the game is actually a joke ending. Uh, and let me just run you through the joke ending. It's going to be quick. some sick, twisted joke. I can already tell. Okay. <laughs> So in this ending, after uh, you have fought these giant flying demon babies that have come down from the sky because Kaim's sister, the goddess, who is the protector of the seal, has been killed. She's been protecting us from these things. Mm-hmm. Um, they've descended onto the planet, and every single character in our party has met an unfortunate end, except for Sarah. Uh, and then a giant plasticky, plastically, plasticky white woman known as the Queen Beast, who is controlling all of these giant demon flying babies, uh, she tries to retreat through a portal. Um, Kaim and his dragon, Angelus, think it's a good idea to go after her. So they do. Uh, smash cut to a grainy white film of downtown Tokyo. Uh, as a portal opens above Tokyo Tower, the Queen Beast, Kaim, and Angelus all descend from the sky. Angelus then asks the question, is this the land of the gods? You then engage in a rhythm battle with the Queen Beast, eventually killing her as she uh, disintegrates into a powdery white substance. Uh, Kaim and Angelus sit there as they're watching over their victory and then get shot down by the Japanese Air Force. And that's the ending of the game. And that's supposed to be the official ending. No, that's the joke ending. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's that's the 100% ending. It's ending, the ending right? that you get for getting a hundred percent. When you say rhythm battle, you mean like Guitar Hero, Rappa the Rappa? Similar, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's very. Exciting. After a How full bizarre. game of essentially a dragon flight simulator and then killing thousands of thousands of troops, rhythm battle. I want it to be very 
I almost want it to be exactly Dance Dance Revolution, where there's like, pose, and like, and then like another pose. That would be incredible. And I would give Yoko Taro so much more credit if that was the case. Wow. So that kind of sets the stage for Near Automata, because Near Automata's universe takes place in on the Earth from the joke ending. Huh. Yeah. So the sky is broken up, right? There's the nobody... sky is the sky is not broken up, but the land has been covered by There's this rift. white, white, su- powder, white yeah. powdery substance. And uh, after uh, Kaim and Angelus were shot down, they both disintegrated into the same substance as well. Now, there's a lot to go from there, and we're not going to talk about it because that actually goes into Nier, uh, the first game, or the second game, I guess, uh, the one that precedes Nier Automata. And part of the reason why I don't want to get into that is because I don't necessarily think needing to know that information is indicative of having a uh, meaningful experience while playing Nier, sure. Nier Automata. That was how I experienced it. Uh, I had never known anything about any of these other games. I just had another friend recommend it to me and played it and had such an, like, ethereal experience. I don't know if ethereal is a real world, real word. I'm real, having Real word in the real world? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but it fits. Uh, <laughs> so then let's start talking about Near Automata. Okay. Um, so Near Automata takes place thousands and thousands of years in the future after this event from Drakengard happens. Um, humans have been nearly rendered extinct by machine life forms built by aliens um, who have now taken over the Earth. Uh, they've been forced to flee to the dark side of the moon, and humans have themselves created androids to fight the machines. In the real world, in our, in our world, mm-hmm. we are no- the aliens are now on the dark side of the moon. No, humans are on the dark side humans, of the moon hiding okay. from the aliens. And they are sending androids down to Earth yep. to fight... Mm-hmm. The aliens. And the, the machines that the aliens are making. And the only connection to Dragon Guard mm-hmm. is... Same universe. It's the, it's, it's the same Earth that uh-huh. the joke ending happened on. But it has but the joke ending has nothing to do with the plot of this. This is just a separate thing that's going For on. For our concerns, no. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things where if you play near, it has a direct correlation. But for near Automata, mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter. There's hints and Easter eggs that you'll find, but there's nothing that is directly meaningful to the plot. Okay. Nier yeah. and Nier Autonoma are two different games. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, Nier is essentially set only like tens of years after the Drakengard ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's confusing. And also thousands of years after the ending. Yeah. Uh, Just like Star Wars is a long, long time ago in sure. the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I can see both of you, and you're like very. You're both very confused with where this is even going. All of this information does not seem pertinent to the point that you're building to. <laughs> so it's, it's fine. It's more so background information where once I start getting into the points that actually mean something to mm-hmm. me, you know where it's coming from. Sure. Um, yeah. This is all just to make us uncomfortable. And yeah. <laughs> exactly. To <laughs> make to make it to make it seem like how can a game that is taking place in this way and it has this content actually like be a piece of art. Because it sounds like... It sounds really bizarre. It does... I guess I will concede now. It does sound like an indie film at, like, yeah. at a baseline. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's just like you're, you're saying all these things and it's like... 
and then this person comes and does yeah. this thing, and then it's like what? It's more. It's not what? important. <laughs> it's not important. It's more so to demonstrate the insanity of it. It's insane. You yeah. convinced me on that. So <laughs> this is this is of Japanese descent, correct? The game. This is, game. The game comes, was made in Japan. Yes. Yeah. So. So I think that, I mean, it's a look into Japanese culture. Japanese culture often goes into, like, apocalyptic worlds that are Mm -hmm. very heavily, like, tech-based. Yeah. Um, Like, I mean, this is all the way to Godzilla. They thought, like, way back when, when they were making the Godzilla movies, Mm -hmm. they made Mecha Godzilla to fight Godzilla. Yeah. Like, a giant robot Godzilla to fight Godzilla. And that was back in, like... The 60s, 70s, 80s. Well, yeah, and if you if you want to kind of get to the deeper meaning and why why that seems to be the case, it's all historically due to the fallout from it being nuclear, like being bombed. Right. Twice. Uh, it's them to- twice. Yeah. Like Godzilla is arguably supposed to be a, essentially a lizard that was affected by the large amount of radiation, mm-hmm. as well as all the other monsters from Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's why these sorts of topics are so common because it's a real world experience that happened only what 50 60 years ago 70 70? yeah and it could be argued that without the rise of technology and japanese basic the japanese culture basically leading the 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 herd Mm -hmm. uh into the advances in technology with like sony came out of and like Mm -hmm. sony was like one of the big contributors to like the giant electronic boom that happened for sure um nintendo even too if you want to go there yeah Yeah, so it's like nintendo completely switched their entire product from playing cards (laughs) to video games even like japanese culture kind of in history shows that like the answer to the downfall of civilization is technology which which they lean heavily i mean it's because you're given like a fresh start yeah yeah like in, mean, in in re- really inhumane way you're given a fresh start yeah and like you're you're forced to come back from the brink that's kind of where this leads is like yeah. the answer to these aliens to being attacked is to advance our technology yes and live on the dark side of the moon yeah with, with the nazis that are there <laughs> that's a separate game and, okay oh, and i'm sorry yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so uh we thank you for that historical context absolutely now I'm like now i'm like i get it okay? right i, I understand get, now yeah as i get well. where sure, you're coming no. from because like i'm a western boy right you know, we've all been raised in this kind of um, Western culture with America, right? I don't know shit about China, Chinese history or Japanese history to begin with. Yeah, it's entirely because I'm a trash weeb that I actually like, <laughs> get interested in this stuff. So, like, it's something I like that I, it's okay. I don't really, like, to me, it's something that I, I'm so exposed to of my own volition that I forget that other people don't know that information. <laughs> yeah, I was too busy consuming trash American TV shows. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. So thanks. Yeah, for sure. So let's get back to the game. Yeah. Uh, so we play as some of these androids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we the main ones that we play as are two B, nine S, and A two. Um, that's that. All of the names of the androids are just a letter and a number. Mm-hmm. Um, we start off playing the game as two B. She is a female model. Uh, two, mo- model number two, battle type. That's what the B stands for. Makes sense, yeah. Um, so her whole focus is being able to go in and kill the, kill the machines. Um, so we join the game as 2B is narrating to us uh, this quote. Everything that lives is designed to end. We are perpetually trapped in a spiral of life and death. Is this a curse or a punishment? I often think about the God who blessed us with this cryptic puzzle and wonder if we'll ever get the chance to kill him. Who says that? 2B, the android. 
That's insightful for a machine. Exactly. Well, that's interesting because it kind of puts a perspective on it because their God isn't God, it's us. We made them. Yeah, supposedly. So yeah, she's not talking about like God, God, like we would talk about God. She's like the people up on the dark side of the moon who made us and as sent far, us down here yeah. to die. Could be. Damn. Interesting yeah. context. <laughs> um, right off the bat, it's just like... <laughs> yeah. So then from there, the game then opens up into a straight-up Death Star run where this group of androids is flying into this factory, being decimated by lasers as they're going. Just like uh, knocking them out left and right. Yeah, and it's actually kind of comical because it's the slowest goddamn laser on the face of the planet. Uh, <laughs> so it's just one of those things where it's just like, just fucking move, get to the goddamn right. Um but anyways, uh, Tubi ends up becoming the last remaining android as she plummets into the factory. You then uh, begin fighting a colossal machine, the one that you were sent there to uh, dispatch. Boss fight in like the first five minutes. Yeah, uh, it's insane. Um, <laughs> wow. Like this game, the, one of the, some of the biggest things that I love about this game is how easily it's able to switch context and mm-hmm. perspective. Because at first you're starting in essentially a bullet hell where you're piloting a ship. And then three minutes later, you are playing one of a master class in a like action hack and slash game. It's like in a similar vein to Bayonetta. Hmm. Um, it's made by the same people. Does that and make sense? They've taken a lot of the concepts and have turned it into. Uh, they've really adapted it to Yoko Taro's style of game. Because one of the big criticisms of Yoko Taro is he makes great stories. God, do his games just suck to play. <laughs> okay. You, you play it basically for the story. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, Nier Automata, Automata is really special in that it was the first one where the marriage of story and gameplay is met at an even level. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually she defeats this colossal machine, uh, meets up with her new assigned partner, 9S. 9S is a male scouting unit, hence the S in his name. Oh, um, okay. And the big thing that you get from him is he's very different from all of these other models that we've talked in this first five minutes. They're all very, like, matter-of-fact and cold. He's very, like, open and playful, showing a different side. The <laughs> thing that throws you off is he's met with uh, 2B saying uh, emotions are forbidden and giving him the complete cold shoulder. And as we go through the game and we interact with these different androids, that's not actually, like, a rule. Like, that's not something that is actually even looked down upon, having emotions as a machine, uh, as, as an android. Uh, so it raises some really interesting questions about, like, what's yeah. going on there. So strictly 2B is, like, no emotions. Yeah, and the thing that throws you off is that's your initial context of things. Mm-hmm. It's so as you go through an experience in the game, you're only ever really interacting with androids that are showing emotions. Hmm. So it puts it, it frames this uh, relationship between the two of them in a very interesting way. Yeah. Why, hmm. why were these androids even given the capacity for emotion in the yeah. first place? Because mm-hmm. if they're soldiers, the ideal soldier does not have emotion. Yep. They're oh. a jarhead, right? They run into battle, cannon fodder, with one objective, right? Kill I, the enemy. I would say that's accurate to right. the game. Yeah. But why are they given emotions? It doesn't yeah. make sense. It's a great question. Hmm. Um, I hope you answer it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not his notes, but now he, he's going to have to. Yeah. yeah. Gonna, yeah um, there you go. So eventually, as you're kind of going through this factory, you get to an end, and you end up getting confronted with three more of these colossal machines. 
Oh, it leaves 9S and 2B broken and battered, leaving them no other options than to uh, essentially self-destruct. They self-destruct by pulling out what is essentially their hearts, uh, these black boxes that explode in the equivalent of a nuclear blast when they touch. Black box. Yep. That's So, like, you know what a black box is, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like an airplane black box. That's, That's like interesting. Quarter, yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Very interesting. For people who don't know, black box is usually uh, when an airplane crashes, the black box is what they go after. It like gives like the last couple seconds and like tells uh, people who weren't on the plane or maybe if the plane lost communication, it tells mm-hmm. what happened uh, with like all of the systems and usually has a message from the pilot, yep. which is interesting. And to follow up on that, the next scene is then to be uh, waking up on the android base that orbits the Earth. Um, she is walking around the space, runs into 9S, and she starts talking to him and thanking him for uh, uploading her memories to the base. Her black box. Mm-hmm. Huh. 9S. But they uh, destroyed it, right? They destroyed the black box, but 9S was able to upload her memories to the base, essentially as a backup, uh, but he didn't have enough time to back up his own. So it leads to this interesting interaction where 2B is thanking him for this experience and for saving her memories. 9S has no idea what he did. Um, they end up walking separate ways, and 2B is pissed. Like As she's walking away, it directly shows her clenching her fist and like shaking it by her side uh, in like an act of like constrained fury. And like Arthur. Yeah, essentially. Arthur no, memes. it's exactly it's like... Meme, yeah. Actually, now that I think it, it is exactly the Arthur meme. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah, but with the fist by her side. So for an android who can't show emotion, she's now showing anger. Yeah, exactly. It places this odd dichotomy into that relationship. I think it's interesting that the rule that... Well, first off, it's interesting that it is a rule Mm -hmm. that they can't show emotion because a rule would indicate, like, you can do it, but you're not allowed. Mm -hmm. But then they so willingly violate it, and it's part of just them and their culture now. So... At this point in the game, you're probably about a half an hour in, I would imagine, if not more. You're probably about 15, 20 minutes if, oh. you, if you go fast. Yeah. Sure, like wow. 15, 20 minutes um, into the game. You, you've progressed pretty far. Have you run into any humans yet? No. Hmm. No, so all, everyone that is at the base is another android. They're part of this group called Yorha. Yorha, it doesn't actually mean anything. Like I looked it up, and it means like fallen leaf in Japanese, mm-hmm. which doesn't doesn't correspond to this story at all. <laughs> Just a random name, whatever. Yeah. So um, there. It's, it's interesting that I guess there are rules and there's no one there to enforce them. Mm-hmm. There are no humans. So, of course, they're going to... You, you have, like, people who are higher up as androids. Mm-hmm. Like, you have, like, a director android who is the one who relays the messages between the humans and the androids. Mm-hmm. But that's about it as far as authority goes. Hmm. Um, yeah. There's a couple different ways you could take that. That's either... The priest, if we're doing the religious aspect of this, mm-hmm. or it's a general. Yeah, so then to go, to just speed things up a little bit, uh, they're sent back down to Earth, uh, and they make some key observations. Like, the machines who are here, who are supposed to be these violent beings, are essentially docile. Uh, they kind of It's weird, because they kind of skim over it. Like, they don't attack you unless you attack them. Um, so they kind of skim over it, go to a local resistance camp that's made up of older models of androids, and you're sent on like various fetch quests and like a bunch of stuff that really doesn't matter. Um, and then eventually you're gone and told to investigate a nearby desert uh, because there have been androids that have gone missing. Uh, the two do so, and they end up running into a group of machines donning makeshift masks 
uh, with paint on them and clothes made of rags. Once they defeat most of the machines, there's one left, he ends up trying to make a run for it. Uh, and during this battle, uh, the machines are actually saying words which they didn't think was possible. Um, granted, it's very broken English. It's just like one exclamation and that's it. Uh, but this one, he runs away saying things like fear, fear, run, run away, run. Oh, shit. And as he's running, um, he's kind of getting more used to saying words. And so his phrases become a little bit more articulate. And these are the aliens. Like these the are alien the robots. Technology. Yes, these are the machines. So the aliens are also sending down these machines. They're not fighting the aliens. Yes. There is, you, um, you do not run into any aliens to fight in this entire game. So they are the aliens, they are the humans, and mm-hmm. they both are basically like the players of this chess game. They're doing yes. where the androids yeah. and the machines are yep. the pawns. Mm-hmm. And it seems like both the androids and the machines though they were made to only obey orders and not feel emotion, are now developing yes. these emotions. Exactly. Um, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. And so this sets up some really interesting stuff that happens like at like the mid and end waypoints of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so the two follow the machine to a giant pit. At the pit, they end up finding a lot of the android corpses. They've all been stripped of their quote-unquote flesh, and left as android husks. Um, and something, something important that I didn't go over, um, all of the machines are made to look exactly the same. They don't show any, like they're, they don't have any facial expression or anything. Uh, it's just the same simple model with uh, different modifications. So like to body size or things like that. But they always all have the same head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they follow the machines to this pit and they end up jumping down it and... This is one of the strangest parts of the entire game. Uh, they jump, and this is saying something considering... Even after all that. <laughs> even after all that. Um, they jump down into this pit and are greeted with the sight of the machines seemingly trying to replicate the uh, human notion of reproduction. Huh. So essentially you're watching machines try and mimic sex. Uh, Do they have those you know, parts? Or no. They're just... It's just... just <laughs> Dry hunting, Bang. got it. Okay, <laughs> I'm starting to get an inkling theory suspicion on what's happening. Yeah, I would love to hear it. I don't want to. It kind of seems like these machines have at least an ounce of human in them, to the point where they are reaching for humanity mm-hmm. and almost getting like stuck at this brick wall, like. They're the basic concepts, and oh, they're like uh, the instinct of being human is there, but hmm. just not the the hardware, you know. Yeah, cool. <laughs> if um, you want to take it like that, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's cool almost take. like you were you were saying all that, and I was like, yeah. You almost when you're created by a human, you almost have to have some amount of human within you. Yeah, just uh, like the same way, like. You know, if you go back to like the Bible and stuff like that, humans are in, created in the image of God. Right? Sure, that's mm-hmm. what it says. An- so another interesting thing, like a real world equivalent to think about, is machine learning. Uh, say, like you oh, have AI. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, like there, like AI uh, ends up taking uh, characteristics from the humanity that they observe. Yep, exactly. Um, yeah. So there's been AI that has ended up developing like 
racism that the twitter bot <laughs> yeah the there was a, a twitter Tay. bot that that literally they they made an ai and its only job was to like interact on twitter mm-hmm. and then like the nazis and the trolls got a hold of it <laughs> and started like tweeting it all yeah, of this like racist and like homophobic shit like, if i remember right it wasn't even that i think that they got a hold of it it was more so that the ai naturally made its way into that sphere of thought yeah yeah and just picked up on that and that because the internet's full of so much toxic toxicity i would say, I would say yeah. take that even further the world is full of it and oh, yeah. twitter AI, especially <laughs> twitter especially yeah or youtube comment sections oh yeah or any, any so yeah if you send an forum. ai into Filth. the internet and basically are like here's how you be human go observe it like they're gonna get because the internet's such an open place to hide like how toxic people yeah. can be mm-hmm. like with like very little consequence so that's dangerous i would say it's also like if you give a machine an access access to an infinite wealth of knowledge specifically about humanity, mm-hmm. they're naturally going to pick up on parts of it and try and replicate it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of these um, AI experiments that like Google and other companies are doing are in closed off systems. Mm-hmm. Like if you have two machines talking to each other, the last thing you want is to connect to the internet so yep. you can talk with every other machine. Exactly. That's out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, an, int- an interesting point just mm-hmm, to kind sure. of bring it back. Um, there's this thought in psychology, which you may know, um, as like there's this itty bitty Neanderthalic brain that still exists within our advanced mind. It's the lizard brain. The lizard brain, yeah. if you would. Um, that at its depth is just um, nothing but instinct. Mm-hmm. It's, it's survive. Yeah. It's basically it's, survive. It's the very smallest part. It's the, I don't know, what's that? The most inner part of the brain. That's like where all the just. Oh, are you talking are. about like the the id and like the super id? No, we're not going there. Okay, okay. That's, that's all Freud. We don't talk about okay. that. But <laughs> there's like the cerebellum, right? Yeah. Oh, and gotcha. The like hypothalamus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that stuff is just designed to keep you alive. And if there's one part of the brain that you would want a soldier to have, it would be exactly. that <laughs> lizard brain that's like, yep. survive, don't die. Yep. But with that also comes like reproduce. Well, and with that mm-hmm. comes the uh you can, it's impossible to strictly limit to that range of thought hence why humans have grown to evolve a full range of thought right. and yeah, emotion the brain right yeah exactly yeah um it's naturally even if you place out there a constrained version of the brain only meant to survive it's going to grow because yeah. that's how things naturally develop even in as we explained like an ai built world yeah, things things grow naturally in a lot of ways. Yeah, all interesting points. While this is a weird scene in the game, I think that it's important. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it's very telling. Well, it's it's the first instance that you see of machines directly trying to replicate human behavior. Yeah, because that's such like a a an organic thing, mm-hmm. like that you would never expect from pe- from these machines that have been built up as no emotions, part of a hive mind, which is super telling. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, wow. now to jump back into the weird shit. Uh, you start walking through, killing some of the robots, uh, and as they're fornicating, yeah. Um, oh man, yeah, <laughs> that's and a buzz because kill. the androids they present it in a way, and the story actually doesn't allow you to continue, as like their job is to kill the machines, yeah. And so you have to start doing it, or else the story doesn't continue. You're left constrained to the world, yeah. Um, hmm. Eventually, they start saying, as a hive mind, this cannot continue. This cannot continue. This cannot continue. And then they climb up to the top of the pit, form a cocoon uh, that then pulses and outdrops essentially a what seems to be a human man with no genitalia. 
Hmm. Yeah. Like birth. Essentially, yeah. What? Uh, like, with all the slippery, sloppity gobbledygook, like, coming out with the it. The machines make this. Yep. Is he organic? Don't know. Okay. Let's keep going. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so then, 2B and 9S, thinking that this is a robot, a machine, because he yeah. came from the machines, uh, they start fighting it, uh, because that's their natural instinct to sure. kill. Uh, you see him evolve, evolve, evolve. He learns to speak. He learns to talk. He learns to fight. As you're going through this, eventually, nine S and excuse me, nine S and two B kill him. Mm-hmm. And then from his dead body comes a, another one of him uh, that Ooh. sprouts from his chest. Same size. Same size. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So then later on, these two individuals take on the names Adam and Eve. Oh, mm-hmm. they're. Two, because one sprouted from the other one's chest. Yep. It didn't die. <laughs> Just like the Bible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the second You're one right. essentially sprouted from the ribs. Yeah. Eve essentially sprouted from the ribs of Adam in the sense of the game. But they're both the exact same. Yes, they're twins. Cool. Yep. Jeez, um, bizarre. Yeah, it's weird shit. Uh, I told you this is going to be a weird one. <laughs> Let's keep going. Yeah. So Because it's symbolism. This right. is the shit that I eat up. Exactly. And so a lot of other stuff happens. They start to report this and all that yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, and eventually uh, they go to fight. Uh, they go to an amusement park where more androids have been disappearing. And it's been taken over by machines. They get there. And the machines are trying to replicate the human idea of fun and celebration. Huh. They've taken the tanks that they've had. Uh-huh. And they've turned them into parade floats. They're going and walking around in clown outfits, throwing confetti, and just like and spinning, and it's just an incredibly odd sight. Uh, so you progress through this, and eventually you make it to where all of the dead android bodies are. Uh, they are surrounding this essentially uh, this theater. Um, this begins what is probably where I think is the best place to talk about the incredible music that this game has. Uh, a boss fight begins where you are fighting essentially a giant opera machine uh, who has donned herself in the corpses of the androids Ooh. in order to become beautiful or her idea of beautiful. Hmm. Uh, and through this, the reason why I want to say the music here is great is just like how the story is meant to be directly taken from the gameplay and the gameplay mechanics mm-hmm. the music does the same thing here the music actually adjusts and changes based off of the actions of the boss because she's directly she's an opera singer mm-hmm. and so it's things like the pitch of the vocals change as she gets hurt more or she's going to perform a certain like attack and she telegraphs it by what she sings Hmm. And I showed you to the uh, I sent you all links to some music from the game beforehand. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think like I know personally I can attest to it's one of my favorite game soundtracks of all time. It's very abstract. Like like there's no real language in it. It's mostly people speaking gibberish. Hmm. Uh it doesn't actually mean anything, but it's all about mood and atmosphere. Yeah, it's almost like ambient music. Exactly. Could you make that argument? Absolutely. Yeah, this uh, is almost taking like the <laughs> the quintessential Boss fight music and taking it one step further. Exactly, um, man. This this screenshot here of the like theme park with the Ferris wheel in the background, yep. the castle. It looks like 
it looks like Disney World. Yep, and that's exactly what it's supposed Uh-oh. to represent. <laughs> it seriously looks exactly like Disney World. You have to pay off the mouse now. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and so you go and you kill this opera singing robot. Mm-hmm. And in turn, that ends up shutting off uh, robots from this hive mind network. Uh, you then get outreach from a machine uh, waving a white flag saying, like, we, like, we are not going to hurt you. We want to be friends. Let me take you to my village. Uh, so out of curiosity from 9S, who is the scanner unit, who his entire job is to be curious and learn about the robots, mm-hmm. uh, they decide to follow. They follow them to their village led by a machine known as Pascal. Pascal is the only machine in this entire game that has a completely different model from the others. Um, is he the one with the mask that I saw? One with the mask. The one with the like the creator's face on it. Oh no 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 no. Okay. Uh, so I would just say the one from the creator's face, mm-hmm. from the the character that Yoko Taro uses as his weird fucking helmet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is from a previous. Yeah, that's a meal. Um, mm. He comes from the previous near game, and that's where he's from. But shows up in near Automata. Okay. Uh, but not necessarily in any meaningful way. More as like an Easter egg with side missions and all that. Sure. Um, doesn't really speak too much to the themes of the game, uh, so I'm not really going to talk too much about it. Um, so they meet with Pascal. Pascal has formed a village that has been there for a while. There are individual machines in the space that have developed personalities that have developed uh, full-on, uh, like, they've assigned themselves, like, genders, and mm. they've formed family units. So you have, like, robots that have essentially, like, this is my older sister. I am her younger brother. They have robots that have fallen in love with other robots. Hmm. Um, one could argue that it's all an artificial attempt to try and rep- continue to replicate human behavior. Sure. You even have Pascal, who seems like this uh, very caring and loving leader of the village, uh, who is a perfect interface to someone who's been around for a long time and has further developed these sorts of emotions. Um, Cause she's, or they, they are, you don't really get a gender from them. Um, they have really, they have a completely different voice, completely different model. Um, and the whole idea that Yoko Taro is trying to present is be empathetic to this character, like form an emotional bond with this character. Um, so getting, he's going to kill him. <laughs> I would argue worse. Okay. And we'll get there. Um, this, is giving me very, like this is giving me very Wall-E vibes mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah. It's the machines thing. Yeah. It's, it's like the machines that are displaying human emotions. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. For sure. Pascal um, is an interesting name to give a machine, too. Because Why is that? Um, there's this thing. Uh, let me think. Uh, so air, right? Air or gases in general, right? When you pressurize them. There's PSI, which is a unit that we all are familiar with here mm-hmm. in America, right? Yeah, I got a flat tire on my way here today. I know a lot about that. <laughs> <laughs> right, you inflate your tires to 31 PSI, pounds per square inch. It's supposed to be. Now it's at zero. Okay. <laughs> I'll help you out with that later. But there's, um, there's a measurement of pressure, right, called a, a Pascal. Mm-hmm. And usually tires are like 300 kilopascals, so 1,000 Pascals. Sure. Um, PSI, Pascal, all the same thing. But Pascal was a scientist way back when who observed all these gases and pressures and stuff like that. And eventually out of that, you get the ideal gas law, which says like um, gases take the shape of whatever container they're in. They're yeah. essentially just really less dense fluids. Yeah. Um, 
So I don't know if that has any significance to anything. I will say a more <laughs> interesting comparison, considering everything that we've talked about. Have you all ever heard about uh, Pascal's wager, the psychological term? No. No. So Which Pascal's wager. We always talk about psychology. Yeah. So Pascal's <laughs> wager is actually the first formal use of decision theory. Is this the? This is like. Uh, not the, the trolley one. car. Yeah, the trolley, the trolley car, car experience. I don't know in particular, but it's like the, the idea comes from a philosoph- uh, philosopher known as Blaise Pascal. Mm-hmm. Um, Might be the same guy. What do I know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was originally brought up in the idea of arguing that uh, believing in God is the most pragmatic decision. Because if you think about it, um, if you do not believe in God, then you are, if, if there is no God, then nothing changes. If there is a God, you are damned to hell. If you believe in God and there is no God, nothing changes. If you believe in God and there is a God, and you believe that all the other, like Jesus stuff, um, not to be overly reductionist, uh, then you will go to heaven. Mm-hmm. So the safer, more pragmatic decision is to believe in God. It's like the most important, you have nothing to lose. Exactly. In the world. And, and everything and to gain. It's a really apt <laughs> comparison to the machines in decision theory deciding what to do like we can either kill everything mm-hmm. and probably die doing it or we can form this society yeah and we can all survive yep yeah you can be a good boy yep and you actually end up learning that pascal has formed a relationship with the re- uh, revolutionary base of androids where they will actually trade back and forth so mm. they've already established that idea in the world yeah so nothing to do with gases at all nope <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I feel it's important to kind of, and again, I haven't played the game, but I think it's important to realize that like, you still haven't run into humans or aliens, which are like the the main two people at war right now, and yeah. they basically almost have left these machines and androids on Earth to their mm-hmm. own devices and just expected them to follow orders. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You basically abandoned them there mm-hmm. to come back later and hope that it's resolved favorably. One hundred percent. We'll actually talk about that here really soon. Oh um, yes. Okay, I'll so, save my comment for later. Okay, <laughs> so a lot of a few other things happen, but it's not really that important for what we're going to talk about. Um, and eventually, uh, we are told as to be uh, that a sinkhole is formed in the middle of the city that you originally landed in, um, and they have detected the aliens. And it's presented as the aliens have been underground and been on Earth this entire time. Hmm. Those bastards. Uh, Yeah. And so (laughs) you are then sent to go and investigate. You end up finding the alien spaceship. But lo and behold, you get there. They're all dead. All the aliens are dead. I knew it. I so knew it. And bold decision on Yoko Taro's part to actually show the dead aliens. Really? It's... They don't look good. <laughs> oh, I have to look this up. Um, Are they little green men with big no. I mean, no. basically, but no. It's like, imagine that, but dead. I really dead like... and have been dead for a long time. Oh, even if <laughs> yeah, even if the aliens don't look good, I like this move. Yeah, I like I this too. move plot wise. Yeah, for the, sure. The the next logical question is what killed him. You don't know? Nope. Oh, they Not just died. A, yeah, it could have just know. been simple. Columbus trading could have been could have been <laughs> it could have been like just time and like they died of resource starvation it could have been I know that... this isn't the image but god if it were <laughs> <laughs> it's just a cartoon of skeletons underground yep <laughs> um and then you get there and Adam and Eve from before show up 
they're now wearing clothes. They are now talking to you in full sentences. Genesis. Yeah, and they are <laughs> presenting these new ideas to you of like, they're basically saying like, we are one and the same. Like, like we're two sides of the same coin. Um, and you fight them. You don't kill them, but you defeat them in this instance. Uh, and you end up escaping. Uh, and then from there, you end up um, going to a forest kingdom nearby. And this place presents its own sense, uh, sense of questions. Um, it is a feudal, essentially a feudalistic society protecting a castle and a ruler. And it's robots doing this. Uh, these robots have decided to implement the side of society of a monarchy. Ooh. Um, there was a, uh, there was a, ro- a machine in the past that led them to these ideas that machine eventually died in the, the machine way. It was deactivated, and they didn't know what to do. So they looked at a monarchy and ended up making a baby robot their king. Hmm. But there's a problem with that. Machines don't age. So, so it's going to be a baby forever. It's going to be a baby forever. And so this kingdom is now stuck protecting essentially a baby ruler who can't make any real decisions like how this previous king did uh, because it's a baby and it can't talk. Uh, and they're left kind of just as their entire purpose being protected. Protected. Uh, so you go through and you're actually assigned to like go and find the baby, uh, the baby machine. And you find it eventually making through, making your way through. And an android, a ragged android, whose clothes are torn, whose hair has been... Uh, I don't know if this is anything... I don't know if the androids can actually grow hair, but her hair in reflection to two bees is mangled and long and unkept. Hmm. Um, she falls from the sky, just like Final Fantasy VII spoilers, Sephiroth uh, killing the baby, stabbing it through itself, and then tossing it to the side, uh, and then runs away. Okay. Yeah. This, this is 2A. So if you remember me mentioning before the main characters that we'll play as, she is the other main character that we'll eventually play as. Hmm. Um, so 2A then, is the second character you play as? So it, in particular it goes, you play as 2B. Right. You then play as 9S. Right. Once you complete the entire story as 2B, you go back through and play the entire story again from 9S's perspective. This is why multiple playthroughs are necessary. Yes. And they even had to put a warning in the game of at the end of 2B's uh, game, her storyline, don't stop here. Keep playing the game. Because yeah. this feels like a natural ending, but it's not the true ending. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you go through and like all this other stuff happens. Uh, you get introduced to 2A. Uh, and then eventually uh, 9S is captured uh, by, uh, by Adam. Uh, hmm. And Adam is a scientific one. He is uh, the one who he's trying to develop essentially a synthetic world um, underground, back in the alien, back where the aliens are, uh, because they had the, apparently had the technology to do it. Uh, and he brings Two B. Two B is trying to save Nine S. And over this entire time, Two uh, B has started to develop uh, more of like. They started, they're, they're like friendship feelings. Like she starts developing essentially a relationship with 9S, foregoing her own orders of emotions are prohibited, uh, and ends up 
um, essentially what seems like fall in love with her, with him. Mm. Um, and Adam takes this out on to be and starts exclaiming that the entire point of life is suffering. He goes full emo kid. Uh, I like, <laughs> yep. he needs to feel pain. He needs to feel, uh, fear, the fear of mortality, things of that nature. So he disconnects himself from the hive mind because if he was still connected, he would always have the safety of being able to come back again. Right. And this is his way of completely of being able to experience all of these human emotions. Hmm. Um, to be kills him, uh, freeze nine S. Uh, and that's the last you hear of him. You then cut to Eve, um, who its entire existence, uh, based off of what we're shown was his brother. Uh, so he goes into a fit, a fury, um, bunch of other shit happens. Not super important. Um, Adam starts attacking the town, attacking where the, like the rebel base are. The machines, once he goes furious, the machines go berserk, and they start eating the androids, because that's apparently how they attack uh, when they're berserk, and that's their natural form, is to eat the aliens. Okay. Yeah, not really sure on that one. Um, Wild. And eventually you fight Adam. It's one of the, it's actually like incredibly well done, and the voice actor for Adam, the amount of, especially in the English version, um, the amount of pain and suffering that he delivers through his lines is just impeccable. Like it's insanely, it's beautiful how he does it. Hmm. Um, and so all that happens. Nine uh, S is killed, um, but he is able to transfer himself to a, uh, a body nearby. He has been in, in the meantime, he's been infected with essentially a, what's called a logic virus. The logic virus is essentially, it's the same thing as a human virus, except it like, so he can't go back to the base. If he goes back to the base, he'll infect the base and every android there. Hmm. So he has to put himself inside of a machine that's there. Um, he asks, before this, he asks to be to kill him to because the only way he can transfer, and he doesn't tell her this, of course, to create a dramatic moment. Uh, he tells her, I need you to kill me. Um, so to be gets on top of him in a straddling position and chokes him out. Uh, yeah. And it's very strange because the way it's presented is almost erotic. The way that she is like straddling him and the way that the music, the camera angles and everything, it's presented as being erotic. Um, it's very strange. Um, <laughs> he didn't know whether he was coming or going, right? Exactly. Is that the problem? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! God Nick. damn it, Nick! That was good. Yeah, uh, that was really good. But welcome. We have now finished the first part of the game. Lord have mercy. We're now an hour in. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to speed a lot of it, all of this other stuff up. So um, some of the big top, big topics that go on is eventually a lot of other crazier shit happens. You experience that entire story from Nine S's perspective, mm -hmm. and like his whole side from a gameplay aspect and what, how his changes is he's not a battle type unit. So what he does to contribute to these battles is he hacks into the machines mm -hmm. and is able to destroy them from the inside. Mm -hmm. um, so he and you end up experiencing like all the stuff that he experienced while like he was captured by Adam. You get to experience what that was like for him and Adam torturing him. Uh, but you experience that from the inside of, from their perspective of a machine Android brain. Hmm. Um, 
then that all happens. Same same stuff happens. Uh, has the exact same ending as the first one, but even still, it's completely worth playing through again because you get some more information about the world and what happened in Nine Ass and all this stuff. Uh, you then experience the story as to a after all of that. Um, 2B is killed by 9A because she gets infected by the logic virus. Um, 9S is separated at the time. 9S sees 2A kill 2B without context, goes into a fury, um, and then, like like a clumsy child, falls into a ravine uh, because he's too angry. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you start playing the story through as 2A, and that's kind of where the jumping off point is. Now, a lot of important stuff happens, but I would say the most meaningful um thing to kind of carry on to what this entire conversation has been about is at one point um there is a scene where uh the robots are start attacking each other um so we've developed this relationship with pascal uh, and pascal's villagers well pascal goes to the factory from the beginning of the game and tries to hide out in there uh they bring he brings his perspective of children hides them away in the factory and goes out to fight the other uh, machines. You come back and in what is probably one of the most um, emotional scenes in this entire game uh, before leaving Pascal had mentioned the ideas of fear uh, to these children. You come back to the notion that, and you're presented with the scene of these children machines have killed themselves because they have experienced the notion of the emotion fear. They know what that is now. And they just couldn't handle it. And they couldn't handle it. So you're presented with Pascal blaming him, blaming themselves for doing this, uh, for not being able to protect them. And Pascal asks you as 2A to erase his memory. Essentially kill him. Essentially. Essentially kill the Pascal that you know. Yeah. Um, factory reset exactly <laughs> which if you go back that's like what was happening to 9 between 9s and 2b yep um and so you have a choice there you can either uh erase their memory you could walk away or you can kill pascal um like full on just yeah uh and pascal like won't fight back uh because pascal at this point is so broken uh, the interesting thing that happens if you decide to reset their memory, you eventually run back into Pascal back at their village with no recollection of you. Um, and you talk to him. Pascal is now strictly a vendor. Um, he's become an NPC. He's become an NPC. <laughs> Great. He was always an NPC, but he had a much more like story impact. Right. His only function now is to be a vendor. You Oof. ask to like you ask to shop for the stuff that he has. And he's like, yeah, I just found all this stuff. It's it's all junk. He's, they're selling the body parts of the children that he was just mourning over. Because oh, to him, man. he has no recollection, and he hasn't developed that side of empathy anymore. Wow. That's heavy. Yeah. Um, this is a very death-oriented game as mm-hmm. well. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's fair. Like uh, loss. Yeah, it's, it's all about... I would say up till now, it's all about loss, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And the experience of seeing machines try to develop human emotions, but do so at, at every point unsuccessfully. Even the most well-developed notion that we have in Pascal and Pascal's Village has failed. Wow. 
I have a big theory that I want to toss out once we get to that point. <laughs> okay. So as we're going through playing through 2A's uh, side, we also get points where we jump back into the perspective of 9S and what 9S is experiencing. Um, 9S, through circumstance and through his own curiosity, ends up discovering uh, probably one of the most impactful uh, parts of the plot. The humans don't have all died. The humans are extinct, just like the aliens. I fucking knew this. Mm-hmm. I called this like way yeah. before. Yep. Uh, the and they have and Oof. they've been dead for just as long as the aliens. They both died out yeah, a long time ago. So it's like, what are we fighting for? Well, it's the idea of they've lost their entire purpose of life yeah. at this point. Um, and it's now nine S and every other Android trying to cope with that. Hmm. And an interesting thing that you find out is that, uh, this is not the first time that nine S in particular has found this out to B is actually, uh, a, an a model. And the reason why I didn't describe what an A model is, like A2, the A stands for assassination. Ooh. 2B was particularly assigned to watch over 9S so that when he discovers this stuff about humanity, she's able to kill him and essentially erase his memory to keep that from spreading and essentially causing the problem that they're in right now where the android society Is is crumbling and collapsing. Um, not because necessarily they found out about this. Well, I guess you could say as a result, they've lost the will to live, and they've oh all my now, god they've all now uh, been infected by the logic virus. Which the logic virus is used as kind of a symbol for their loss of will to live. Oh my god! 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 Yeah. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> I know there's lots to talk about there. So Oof. so at the very beginning, the quote, and we compared it to. Her and that that initial discovery that we had is like these androids when they're talking about God, they're talking about us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the creators of them. Mm-hmm. We are their gods. Yep, essentially is what was what we theorized at the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're breaking it down to what happens when a society finds out that God is dead, finds out that there yep. is no other side, and y- you talked about the um, the psychological uh, kind of explanation of. You lose nothing if you believe in God, because if you die, you go to heaven if you believe in God. But if mm-hmm. you don't believe in God, you go to hell. But there's the side of... What, what if God ha- is gone? What if God doesn't... What if you learn that God isn't real? Right. What's the point at that point? Society crumbles. The logic virus isn't a virus. It's just a realization mm-hmm. that there is no point in living mm-hmm. or dying oh, anymore. It's like a thought. Yeah, the logic virus isn't a virus to begin with. It's a thought. Yeah, it's presented as a virus, and it spreads like a virus because, they're because that's how thought spreads. Thought spreads just like that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I have an idea, like, hey, I have this shiny new million-dollar idea. I want to tell everyone about it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to tell everyone, and then it keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. Well, and even to keep it still with God and, like, like religion, um, you even go back to the historical context of Christianity spreading. It yeah. was all word of mouth, and just it spreads so naturally and easily. Yeah, be that. fruitful and, and it just, as, just as easily you can spread the idea of it crumbling and mm-hmm. falling apart. If somebody were to find out, if somebody were to find God, the creator of us, if we were to discover who made us, mm-hmm. find out that they are dead, that blows Christianity out of the water. Yep. And once it's gone, we have to deal with the fact that it, we're organic. We yeah. are, there's no spiritual 
Savior. And there's the whole other side of even if you find empirical evidence that God is dead or God has never existed, mm-hmm. will people actually believe you? If you're going against their entire thought of existence and why they're alive, will they even be able be willing to accept that? It seems like in this game, the answer is yes, but I think it's because the evidence is so clear cut. Mm-hmm. Like the aliens are dead. Yep. Your creator is dead. Yep. It's right there in front of you. Yeah. Um, so just for the purposes of talking about this game. Yeah, and it's also on the side of their machines. Their entire purpose is to live and base their knowledge off of the data that they have. Yeah. There's no sense of premon- – well, I mean, there are senses of premonition and all that, but when it comes to conclusions, there isn't. This know? feels like it's almost an allegory on the idea that society is built on the belief or the safety net of our creator being there. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, you could take it a step back and be like, our society is built on trust. Yeah, it's built... Human society is based on trust. I trust my neighbor not to break into my house sure. and blow everything up and shit on the floor, right? <laughs> I don't know my neighbor that well. Yeah, okay, well... I imagine. I don't admit Societies are built on trust. Like, whether you want to go full communism or full, you know, sure. capitalism, but it's the, all based on trust. The trust's foundation lays on morality. And yes. morality is based solely, almost on religion. Because if I'm a good person, I go to heaven. I mean, there's there's lots of arguments for, like, for and against that. The I would say the idea as it per se, pertains to this game is that um, your morals and what you know about the world and how you experience the world is based directly off of your frame of it. If your frame is that you are serving a direct purpose uh, and that purpose is then broken, mm-hmm. you've now lost all ideas that you have for your morality and your point of view on the world. Well, entertain this for a second. Yeah. If you would. (laughs) Um, You said it. So this thought that, like, they're given commands, like, emotion is prohibited. Mm -hmm. Um, The thought, then, is if those commands were given by the humans, and the humans are dead, Mm -hmm. what's the point of following them? Or if God gives the command of be kind to your neighbor, and God is dead, what's the point of following it? Mm -hmm. You know? Right. And that's a good example for like they none of the androids actually follow it because there's no one there and to, as i to, said at the yeah, beginning there's it. no one there to enforce right that and it that's why this assassination bot exists yeah to keep that information hidden yeah so let's take it back to uh what we were talking about before at the beginning where 2b is the only android that is actually enforcing this role uh-huh. and then when 9s loses his memory and experiences with her she gets visibly upset mm-hmm. um, because the whole idea is is that over time, 2B has formed this relationship with 9S. Mm-hmm. But every single time she has to kill 9S, she loses that version of 9S. Yeah. And she has to redevelop this entire relationship with him again. And it, but she knows. She it continues. Yep. She has to start over. It's a cycle. Are they lost in this cycle that just has been happening over and over again? So let me describe the ending to you real quick. The okay. tr- this it's a is a recursive kind of, loop if you want to go with yeah, the Yeah, so like the entire so let's let me skip directly to the final ending. So in this game there are um, 26 endings. Wow. Uh, granted a lot of them are simple one-off things like mm-hmm. it's Yogo Taro, he's a weird ass motherfucker. Um, yep. you can you can end the game by going right when the game tells you to go left. There's like instances of that. Mm-hmm. There's even to go back into the side of like this game demonstrates like 
like the gameplay is directly meta, essentially, based mm-hmm. off of the story. Um, you're playing androids. You have this idea of you can um, upgrade yourself and augment yourself through the use of chips. The biggest chip in your chip collection is your operating system chip. You have the full freedom to remove that chip. If you do, the game ends. Wow. That's like deleting your system 32, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, there's other instances of like, if you can blow yourself up, um, just like how they did mm-hmm. uh, at the beginning of the game, you could do that on the space station. <laughs> ends the game. <laughs> Sure, but um, like the main big ending. But the main big ending is... The big cheese. Um, so 2B is dead at the hands of 2A. Mm-hmm. 9S is dead at this point um, because him and 2A fought. Mm-hmm. Um, and 2A also just happens to be dead. They 9S and 2A have mutually killed each other. Um, essentially, they stabbed each other at the same time. Um, and... Throughout this entire game, you have essentially what is a uh, a speechless, or not a directly speechless, but like a meaning, what's a seemingly meaningless character following you around this entire time, known as a pod. Mm-hmm. Pod is essentially a easiest way to describe him: an iPod Mini with arms that floats behind you and shoots bullets. Oh, yeah, but doesn't That's helpful. But doesn't really talk. Um, so all of the androids. And essentially, the robots at this point are dead. Um, every last one of them. Every last one of them. The only things that still exist are, are, the, pods. These, are the pods. Yeah. The pods go and find the bodies of 2B and 9S and 2A and bring them all to a central location. And they're flying over all the scenery and everything. And you hear the pods talking to each other. Um, and what they're talking about is... Well, that ended horribly. But do you think they deserve to try again? Hmm. Oh, no. Like, yeah. Like, we can't tell them they can't. So let's let them try again. Does the game restart? The game doesn't restart, but essentially in theory, (laughs) it does. In theory, the next time you play this game, you are playing through this exact same scenario that happens over and over and oh, over and no. over again. And the pods reset everything. Yep. Because the pods... The, the robots, the, the machines. Yep. You iPod Because fucked. the pods <laughs> also have their own meaning for existence. And that is to take care of the androids. The androids have their meaning for existence. That's to fight the robots. So they need to bring it all back. The hope is eventually it will all reach homeostasis. No, it never will. Because, but that's the problem. Yeah, the pods are there to help the androids. The androids are there to kill the robots. When there's none of those left, the pods have to find something to do. So they take the androids and they say, well, So what's fuck. the perfect scenario <laughs> for the pods? Is it the androids beat all the robots and that's the, the androids are alive? I would say so. But given the circumstances of everything, we can assume that that will never happen because everything is played out to happen exactly the same over and over again. <laughs> Jeez. Hmm. Yeah. Oof. It's some heavy stuff. And I'm mindfucked. You win. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> really and truly. So, uh, 
along with all of this weird stuff, like all these this weird scenery of robots uh, like sexing each other up, and a genitalist man falling from a robot cocoon, um, and you playing as a anime made waifu uh, and a husbando. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game has a much bigger story to tell and has much more deceptive opinions about what it's trying to say. I think we got into those a little bit here. No, it, absolutely we did. And when I say deceptive opinions, I'm talking more so um, it's not what you would expect. It's symbolism in a way, right? It's it's definitely symbolism, but it's absolutely not what you would expect from a game that's presented this way. Yeah, um, allegories are metaphors. And, and one metaphor I did want to bring up, getting away from the whole God thing uh, and organized religion, is the... There's the the Cold War proxy war. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with, I don't know, let's say Korea or Vietnam, both of those conflicts, it was these bigger units, right? The United States of America and the United States or United States, Soviet Russia, right? Mm-hmm. We both had this particular piece of land, Vietnam or Korea, that we wanted, right? We wanted them to be allies with us. We wanted them either to be a communist or be, you know, democracy. Mm-hmm. And we had this long, drawn-out conflict with two sides getting all this funding from us. We were like, okay, South Vietnam, go fight the North Vietnam. Here's all this money. Here's all this weapons. And the Soviet Union did the same with the North. And it was this, this proxy war that, draw, that was drawn out so long where this conflict was like, what the fuck are we even fighting for at the end of it? And then it ended with, like, you know, obviously we sent troops there and we got involved in this long drawn out conflict once again, mm-hmm. but it ended with like this, uh, fuck, none of us can win. All right, I'm out of here. In a way, this is kind of an allegory for the game mm-hmm. because you have these two sides killing each other and eventually at the end of the day, nobody wins. Yep. It almost kind of rolling off of that, Nick, is like what happens if like two armies are going at it on this like remote place? Mm-hmm. And then they find out that their countries have both fallen. What oh, do they geez. have left to fight for? Yeah, what do you why do? are they fighting? But well, well, if they're soldiers, they still want to win. Yeah, no. so they're still going to fight. That's what they're sent there to do: is fight. Yeah. Or would you well, go home and say, "Fuck this shit, I'm out of here"? Yeah, it's <laughs> does the does the conflict or does the realization that what they are fighting for absolve the conflict that they've experienced? Right, because at this point, like, no. I'm here to win. I'm here to fight for yeah. my country. And if my country's gone, I'm still here to fight for my country until I die. You're or there it's to even fight then, for your life. At that point, then they're fighting for themselves. Yeah. They're fighting for their own ideology now. Because, because if, if all of this was for nothing, then why, would, why did they do it? It has to be for something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like people come back from, you know, Vietnam. They're like, that couldn't have all been for nothing. I felt things over there. Mm-hmm. I was getting shot at by a guy over in the trees. I lost my friends, you know? Yeah. Then Did my like, friends die over nothing? Yeah, did they? No, of course not. Mm-hmm. They, you know, <laughs> it's a really heavy subject. Yeah, but... <laughs> I told you all this was going to be a very weird topic. It, it, at its simplest point, it boils down to, if I have no reason to be doing this, but it's the only thing I can do, should I keep doing it? Mm-hmm. And the answer, at least if you're looking for reason of existence, is yes. 
I think it's one of those questions that you can't fully answer. Um, there's not a right or wrong. There's right. Just, uh, <laughs> there's it's just my solution to it. Yeah, it's one of those things where, and I think what this, what the point that the game is trying to say is that if you continue to replicate the behavior even after you lose your sense of self, you try and find reasons for it, you're going to end up getting yourself stuck in a cyclical nature. Mm-hmm. You're only going to be fighting to fight at that point. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Oof. And the game presents it in a way of people, of androids and machines being incapable to learn from And there history. are so many secular loops mm-hmm. in this game. Yeah. So many things that just repeat and repeat yep. and repeat. And I wanted to, as we end this, uh, I have to wake my laptop back up. Um, I, I wanted to <laughs> go back and reread the quote from the initial, from the beginning of the game. Yeah. Here we go. I'm going to get goosebumps. I'm ready. Um, <laughs> let's see. Everything that lives is designed to end. We are perpetually trapped in a spiral of life and death. Is this a curse or a punishment? I often think about the God who blessed us with this cryptic puzzle and I wonder if we'll ever get the chance to kill him. Hmm. Oh, man. And that's the entire plot of the game. It is a cyclical puzzle. Mm-hmm. Jeez, there's so much to unpack. This could yeah. be a three-hour-long episode. It very well could. I had to skip over essentially two entire playthroughs uh, <sighs> just to get to the end. There's still so much more to experience in this. And I know I've spoiled essentially everything in the game but I'll probably still play it the, to be honest with you. yeah the yeah. experience of playing through this matter means so much more than just hearing it from my mouth um and if you're not if at this point like you've heard this and you're more interested in the story but you don't necessarily want to play the game um there's a youtube channel out there uh the the guy's name is Klimps. he has analysis on drakengard drakengard 2 drakengard 3 near and near automata full in-depth analysis spending hours of time going through the psychologically the psychological side the symbolism of all of these games and how they all tie back to each other here's a great opportunity to plug mm-hmm. so i'm going to you already plugged it's mm-hmm. one plug we got one plug we have a second plug two plugs um we officially have uh, gained the uh r slash entertain this subreddit mm-hmm. um so if you listen to the podcast, you're a fan of the podcast, you want to play the game, and you want people to talk about the game with, uh, I will go ahead and put up a pinned post on r slash entertain this where you guys can all talk about the game uh, within that subreddit post. Hell yeah, I'll be on there. Oh, hell yeah. That would be exciting. <laughs> yeah. um, hey, what's your username? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to talk more to more people about this shit. That's yeah. the whole reason why I wanted to talk about it today. I think we're also going to start looking into making a Discord channel. That'd be uh, awesome. For anybody who listens to the podcast and wants to talk about it or talk with us. Um, I at first was thinking we could make it a Patreon thing. I feel like that's stupid. If you want yeah. to talk to us, come talk to us. We're not too important to We're talk not to high and mighty. <laughs> Hell no. Nah. We should start making merch at some point. That'd be pretty dope. I think it'd be pretty dope to have a shirt that just Yo, said interesting. I would, dot, love, dot, dot. <laughs> I would love to just have a red shirt with the logo oh. printed on the chest. Yeah. Like I would wear that everywhere we can make it happen yeah, yeah. totally i know people man <laughs> walking into this i was like i don't know anything about this and i'm i'm not very versed in anime or 
weeaboo culture. <laughs> I was expecting more weeb shit. Exactly. Like, what, what the hell but damn, this is good. Yeah. All right. I'm glad you all liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of scared to bring up this topic uh, be just for that nature of how the game itself presents itself. It has all of the benchmarks of shit that I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you wouldn't have mentioned, mentioned like weeaboo or Japan or anything like that. I would have thought this was just, you know, a regular old game. That just seems like a mask that it wears Absolutely. to yeah. get its point across. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is lovely. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be in this style. It could be in any other style. It could mm -hmm. be a comic book for all I know. Yeah. It is a piece of art. And I would say that through the gameplay and through how you experience everything, this is the, I would say a video game is the only way to get this exact same experience. Yeah. Uh, you have to make the choices. Yeah. You have to make the choices. You have to have some you skin have in the to, game. Be the one experiencing the cyclical cycle, as in you are the one making the choices to be a part of the cycle. Um, and to me, that is where video games truly show themselves as being an art medium, their own independent art medium, completely separate from movies, books, comics, or anything. Hell yeah. They're interactive. They That's have to awesome. be. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Coming up next on the episode, we are going to bring back Jade uh, to do our quickness this week. Last week we had Jade on for her wonderful episode uh, on how entertaining it can be to watch people make art, which was a really great episode. I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, you're back this week to go ahead and take over our five-minute section at the end of Entertain This. Quick This. Yes. So, Jade, take it away. So my Quick This is about board games and my far too strong love of them. Uh, I grew up playing board games, and my family, <laughs> I don't know if anyone else's family was like this, but any time we played a game together, we were extremely competitive in mm -hmm. every aspect. So, like, Monopoly, bitch, we did not stop until the game was over. Oh, my God. And That's... it did, like, I'm not even joking. At one point, my grandmother's like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Don't any fucking touch the table. And she went to bed, and we paused that game, and so we went back. We went to school the next day. No one touched the game. And then we started it back up as soon as dinner was finished. Like, we did not play around. It wasn't until recently that I figured out while watching a Let's Play that I still don't know all the rules to Monopoly. No, <laughs> no one knows all the rules to Monopoly. It's all a lie. No one actually... You got house rules. You got free parking. No one, no one actually... You have whatever your parents say. That's what Monopoly is. Right. Just like capitalism. Oh, my <laughs> God. <laughs> Yikes! It's called Monopoly for a reason, gentlemen. Okay. But what I want to talk about is, like, as I've gotten older and I've played games with people outside of my family... And in a less competitive atmosphere, uh, board games are probably one of my favorite forms of entertainment because you can just like bullshit and you can have drinks and you can have a good time. And it's, it's the kind of thing where you can play it over and over and it's just very like low key and fun. And board games have actually been shown to have like legitimate benefits if you play them when you're younger. They've shown that it teaches you how to be patient. It teaches you how to strategize. It, teach, it is a great for reducing stress unless you play with my family. <laughs> uh, it also, if you play cooperative board games or you play card games, I'm going to lump some card games into this because I feel like a lot of times that line gets a little blurry. Our group definitely kind of leans more towards the creative card game. Yeah. Hmm. And it's like, they're kind of like, if you go to the store, they're all in the same aisle. You what know do what you I mean? mean? Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, that kind of thing. So it's like, if you're playing something where you're working with another person, 
like the team mentality behind board games is really fun. And you just have so much diversity of types of games to play. So you have everything from like Scrabble to Cards Against Humanity to Monopoly to uh, actually Alex brought over a really fun game one night that was a D&D based board game. Was it uh, 15 minutes or 15 minute dungeon? Yes. Mm-hmm. 15 yes. minute dungeon. Loved that game. Still want to play it again. It was a great time. Um, so where am I at so far? Where am I? How much time do I have left? You have two minutes. Two minutes. Okay. So when it comes to board games, everyone always has a favorite one, right? So like when I say board game, one pops up in your guys' head. So like which one pops in your head? It's Monopoly. Exactly. <laughs> just, just so it. mine's what do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Scrabble. Scrabble. And <laughs> for me, when I think board game, my mind immediately goes to, depending on the conversation, either Risk or Monopoly. Okay. So, it, I mean, it just goes to show, like, and a lot of times these things have nostalgia wrapped up in them. They have memories wrapped up in them. If they're me, you have trauma wrapped up in them. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But the thing is, is that with board games, you just, there, there's no wrong... There's no wrong board game. Well, yeah. I don't know about that. But Twister's anyways. wrong, but other than that, it's <laughs> a math game. That. It's very wrong. And it just, they're just great. And they're honestly probably one of the best forms of interpersonal entertainment, I think. Yeah. Especially because anyone can play them. You can be like a toddler, depending on the game. You can be 80 years old. You can be 20 years old. It says right on the box. Exactly. <laughs> Unless <laughs> you're 100. Anyone can play them. <laughs> So I have, a, I have a very strong affiliation for games. Yeah, it's like it, it's one of those situations where it's a conversation driver. It's a interaction driver. It yes. helps push your uh, group that you're in to interact together. Yeah, that's why it's often an icebreaker mm-hmm. in a lot of social events. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and you don't need the power to play it, which is where I played a lot of my board games. when, Whenever the power went out in a thunderstorm or something like that, family would be like, all right, what board are we going to do? Here's board games. So, <laughs> so another thing is that um, kind of like going back to lumping in card games with board games is that you have things like Uno. And you have like, when you play Uno, you better be ready to get slapped because someone's going to get a reverse when they do not need it. <laughs> and like the game is not going to end well. I have never been abused while playing Uno. <laughs> I mean, just mildly. Okay. Yeah, maybe <laughs> mildly. mildly abusive. Yeah, just, just a little bit. Check it out. <laughs> Typically from my own siblings, but that's fine. Um, so I am like about 15 seconds, and that is I'm my... I'm stalling, I'm stalling. I'm stalling, I'm running out of time. And, time. and I'm... This is... And I'm spent. <laughs> <laughs> Growing up, I remember there was one Christmas where I asked specifically, I said, I want board games just a bunch of board yep. games because I wanted to start a family game night. Uh, we never had the family game night because <laughs> my dad, and still to this day, swears that my mother cheats at every board game that she plays, <laughs> so he refuses to play with her until Monopoly came out with Uh-oh. a board game called Monopoly Cheaters Edition, and now that is our go-to, and that is the only board game that my family plays. But I do get my fill of board games from you guys, which I am blessed to have. Thank Aww. you. Blessed. <laughs> Hashtag blessed. Bless up. But seriously, Alex, you really do need to bring that 15-minute dungeon game back because that was so much fun. I think that we officially beat it, but only because I think we cheated a lot. We We cheated like four times. Yeah. We cheated to get past the second dungeon. It is very difficult. It's a very difficult. So anyone who does it... It's five-minute dungeon. Yeah. um, 
which is a great game in a series of five minute games that are all based around the same thing. Like there's five minute like Marvel adventures and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it, you're right, it is a very fun game, and we do need to try that again sometime. Yes. And for anyone who doesn't know, the game basically functions as each person is given a, a character, mm -hmm. air quotes around character, who has different uh, abilities and like advantages in different situations. And everyone has a stack of cards. Well, they have a hand of cards, and you draw cards as you play them. And you basically, um, if you've ever played Settlers of Catan, okay, I'm explaining this to Nick mainly because <laughs> he's the only one who hasn't played I'm it. Um, so basically, you have like resources on each monster, and then each monster you have to like take down with certain requirements, and that's based off what's in each other's hands. There are advantages to different characters, like pause time, which is really helpful because then you can like talk to your teammates and be like, "I have this, we have this." All right, moving forward, because you don't realize how fast that amount of time goes by before the the monster air quotes defeats you or you defeat it. And there's like what five, six monsters you have to get through. Six, yes, different monsters that all come with their own challenges. Like leading up to the boss monster, you have to yeah. defeat like thirty-five different monsters in the yeah. five minutes. If you play it, you understand. You yeah. should look up a video if you haven't played yeah. it to fully understand the anxiety that comes with it. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, though. I'm happy that we're now all together again and that we're able to do this live. I think there's a chemistry in the room that definitely drives the podcast for sure. But next week on the podcast, it is my week to host. So yep. tune in next week to see if I can pull it off. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. Hey. And we'll see you next Friday. <laughs> see you guys. Bye. <laughs> this week's episode was hosted by Michael Savoya, Alex Steele, and Nick Mustakangas. Our intro music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with additional music by DJW. We release new episodes every Friday. Thanks for listening.